Well, a big part of our morning today is that prayer of blessing, but I did want to take a few minutes, and so if you'll give me 18 minutes... And you will know that God still works miracles. Um, and if I could get my screens changed down front, that would be awesome. Thank you. Um, so several weeks ago, we talked about patience as we've worked through these fruits of the Spirit. And we said patience is the ability to endure hostility and criticism without anger. And so then gentleness, as we're going to talk about today, is the ability to endure hostility and criticism without aggression without responding in the way that we want to so many times. When I was growing up, I got in a small little scuffle. You couldn't really call it a fight. There were a couple of um, small punches thrown. We were fourth and fifth graders. It wasn't too much of a big deal. But I went home to my parents that day, and I was kind of confused of how I should have responded. Because I've heard so much of my life growing up in church, you shouldn't fight and you shouldn't take out aggression and you shouldn't respond in that way. And I'll never forget what my parents told me. They said, you better not start it, but you can finish it. You better not start the fight, but you can finish it. And what's funny is as my kids are growing up, we found ourselves in those same situations telling our children almost the exact same thing. And my guess is it's a statement that you have probably heard in your homes, maybe even said, because it is how our mind thinks. You better not start it, but you can finish it. Could you imagine a world that lived by that motto? You better not start it, but you could finish it. Because I'm sure if there was a world like that, you would see crazy things like violence in a street where someone is driving their car and someone cuts them off and they chase the person down to an intersection where they get out of their car at the intersection, try to pull the person out of the car, or even maybe use a weapon. It would probably be a world where if someone said something to you, maybe not even meaning to, that you decided that I needed to get them back and pay them back for what they did. Could you imagine how chaotic and crazy that world would become. And my guess is you don't have to do too much imagining to figure out what a world would look like like that. Because when we are hurt, we want to respond in kind. And maybe no other place in, in Scripture... Um, gentleness is always connected to humility. Humility and gentleness somehow and meekness seem to be connected. And I think that's because pride seems to come up from, from fear and pain. It is the presence of fear and pain that produce pride. And pride leads us down the path of payback. Think about the messages we teach to kids as they're growing up. Take pride in yourself. Stand up for yourself. Don't take nothing from nobody. Be a man. I wonder if in some small way we have inadvertently made pride 
a virtue. I mean, there's a good sense of self-pride that you can have in yourself. But at some point, pride gets out of hand. And I can't help but think of the words of Solomon in Psalm 16. He says, pride goes before destruction and a haughty spirit before the fall. We have this mindset that we should respond as someone else has responded to us. You better not start it, but you can finish it. One of the places I think we see gentleness and meekness is from God himself. Think about the words of the psalmist David. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside the quiet waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his namesake. It's this God who is a shepherd who gently and tenderly cares for his flock. Or you think of stories like the prophet Elijah, who has killed the prophets of Baal, And Jezebel says that she is now going to kill Elijah. And Elijah is at the end of his rope. He is running. He is scared. He is afraid. And he basically says to God, God, I'm tired of this. I want out. Not like I want out of this mission or this calling or this assignment. I want out of this life. It would be better that I was dead. And Elijah finds a place under a bush, a broom tree, and he lays down to go to sleep. And God wakes him up the next day with an angel. And God gives him some fresh-baked bread and a jar of water. And he cares for Elijah. And Elijah, still not refreshed, not replenished, lays back down to go to sleep. And God shows up the very next day again with a fresh-baked loaf of bread and a jar of water. And it says that that bread and that water sustains Elijah for the next 40 days and 40 nights as God calls him into the desert to speak to him, to minister to him. And at the end of the 40 days and 40 nights, he says, I'm going to take you up on the mountain and I'm going to pass by you. And and there is where we expect to see God in all of his magnificence and glory, big and loud and bold. And Elijah says, well, there was this violent wind that shook the ground and ripped the rocks from the mountains. But God was not in the wind. And then came an earthquake And it shook the ground beneath my feet, and everything crumbled, but God was not in the earthquake. And then there was a fire that came down out of heaven, but God was not in the fire. But then, then comes a gentle whisper. The voice of God, and one translation says, the still, small voice. And the literal translation is silence. It's in all the bigness and all the noise you're expecting to see God, and yet it's in this small whisper that Elijah hears these words, Elijah, you are still loved. 
And what Elijah probably does not need in that moment is this fearful voice of God speaking over him, Elijah, get it together. I got work for you to do. What he needs to hear in that moment, Elijah, I love you. I wonder how many people this morning need to hear that gentle voice of God no matter where you are or what you're going through, simply say to you, you are loved and I have work for you to do. You think about the way that Jesus addresses the apostle Peter. After Peter has denied him three times, when Peter needed to be there for Jesus the most, and Peter fails, But yet, Jesus, walking beside the sea, calls Peter. And they go for this walk, and as they're walking, he asks Peter this question, Peter, do you love me? Peter says, yes. God, you know that I love you. He says, feed my sheep. He says, God, do you, Peter, do you love me? Yes, you know. He asked him three times. And as I said a few months ago, I always thought that was guilt trip Jesus. Saying, Peter, I'm kind of rubbing it in. You denied me three times. I think he asked him the three times. Because Peter needs to be reassured. He needs to reassure himself that he still loves Jesus. But he also needs to be reassured that God still has a purpose and a plan for him, regardless of what he has been through. Because what I would expect from God in that point is God looking at Peter and saying, Peter, you blew it. I'm done with you. It's over. Peter, you messed up. Because that's our mentality, right? I'm done with you. But Jesus doesn't say that. He says, Peter, I love you, and I still have work for you to do. And you think about the words of Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. And in our mind, it's not the meek that inherit the earth because we've read the history books. The, the little literal word is the land. The people will inherit the land. Blessed are the meek. That's not who inherits the land. The one who inherits the land is the strong. It's the powerful. It's the one who can exercise force over another person. That is the one who will inherit the earth. We know how the system works. And this doesn't make sense to say. And yet the apostles continually come to Jesus. They're asking, is this when you're going to restore Israel? Is this when you're going to come riding in on the white horse with the sword and kill everyone and take your throne? Is is this the time that you're going to truly prove that you're a Messiah? We're waiting for it. We need it to happen. Where are you? But in Jesus, you truly see that meek is not weak. Because in his laying down his life, we see strength and not weakness. But I can promise you this. That's not what they saw in the trial. I promise you that's not what we would see 
in the trial. We wouldn't see strength. We would see weakness. And you see Pilate, and you see the high priest casting accusations. Where, where, why aren't you going to speak for yourself? Stand up for yourself. Take a stand. Do something about it. But it's not until the other side of the cross that we see the strength of the gentleness on the trial. In the moment of the trial, when everything seems to be falling apart, we look and we say, that's weakness. But after, after he has died, after he has spoken the powerful words, Father, forgive them, they don't know what they're doing, we see strength. Peter is writing to these Christians who are living in exile. And he speaks these words to them, pointing back to the cross. He says, but how is it to your credit that you receive a beating for doing wrong and endure it? But if you suffer for doing good and you endure it, this is commendable before God. He says this, to this you were called. What, what is the to this that you were called? Suffering for doing good and enduring it. To this you were called, because Christ suffered for you, leaving you an example that you should follow in his steps. Here's what Christ did. He suffered for doing good and he endured it. And you, as a follower of Jesus, are called to follow in his steps, to be just like he is in this world. He goes on to say this as he quotes from Isaiah. He says, He committed no sin, and no deceit was found in his mouth. When they hurled their insults at him, he did not retaliate, but he suffered. He made no threats. Instead, he entrusted himself to him who judges justly. He says, He himself bore our sins in his body on the cross so that we might die to sins and live for righteousness. By his wounds, you have been healed. For you were like sheep going astray, but now you have returned to the shepherd and the overseer of your souls. So, so how did he endure? In the moment when he is facing criticism and threats and persecution and violence, he did not retaliate. When he suffered, he made no threats. And he himself bore our sins on the cross. How, how did our sins get to the cross? It's in that moment what Jesus is doing on the cross is he is laying down his life as humanity does its absolute worst. Think about the worst humanity can do to another person. And it is all there on the cross. And the problem is we are a part of that. And the only way to step out of that cycle is to forgive the only way to respond and put an end to it is to bear all of it upon yourself and then not respond in kind. And he says he takes all of it. 
the threats, the violence, the hate, people betraying him, people telling lies about him. He takes all of it on himself, and the cycle stops there with those words, Father, forgive them. They do not know what they are doing. And, and so Peter comes into this message, and he says, when, he, when they hurled their insults at him, he did not retaliate. When he suffered, he made no threats. Instead, he entrusted himself to God, to him who judges justly. He bore our sins in his body on the cross. So the question for you this morning is, as God through Christ leaves you an example, do you follow in his steps? Are you like Jesus? Have you ever been to an amusement park and you come across one of those big park maps and there's always a sign on it, a star or an arrow or a finger pointing, and it says, you are here. And I think at times we need those because they help reorient us to where we are. Because you can't figure out where you're going in the park and how you get there until you first figure out where you are. And we all need those moments that reorient us to where we are as people. You are here. You better not start it, but you can finish it. You better not start it, but you can finish it. It seems that we are a people who is consumed with getting the last word, the last jab, the last comment. A people who want to be right and to make sure everyone knows that we're right. And it is a pride problem. You see, so often, anger and retaliation are born out of pride. And pride surfaces in our insatiable need to be right. Our insatiable need to get the last word, to get the last jab, to get even. So let's be honest and real for just a moment. How do you respond when people hurt you, when people insult you, when people criticize you? Is it following in the steps of Jesus? And let's get real personal for a minute. How do you respond at home? See, it seems like most of us have enough sense that we understand that culturally there are things that are acceptable and things that are not acceptable. And when things happen to us in public, we seem to use a sense of self-control and not respond the way we want. But it's when we walk in our home and we feel safe, and we feel secure that we let the safety off. And the times 
we're around the people we love the most, seems that we're the least gentle. And maybe it's not physical, but often it comes out verbally. Isn't it strange? The people we love and care about the most are often the people we speak to in the harshest tones. And I know all of us would say, well, it's just a problem with my patience. And I would say, no, it's not. It's not a patience problem. It's a formation problem. It's being formed in the likeness of Christ to look like Him, to respond like Him, to be like Him, to literally, as Peter says, to follow in His steps. Because I understand, I've been there. When people hurt us, when people get on our nerves, when people test our patience, the way we want to respond is not to say, I forgive you. The way we want to respond is we need to get even. We need to have the louder voice. We need to exercise our power and our control. We need to make sure they know who is in charge. Now, I wonder this morning if you just need one of those park maps in your life that just says, you are to help reorient your life around what your life is supposed to look like and who it is you're following. I have a really good friend who is a counselor, and I would always tell him, well, you know, I think this is something that everyone does, and he would say, we're not talking about everyone. We're talking about you. I know everyone does it. I know everyone responds that way. I know everyone lets their words and emotions and aggression get out of hand at times, but we're not trying to be like everyone else. We're trying to be like Jesus. And what we see in the cross is that Jesus is the point where the cycle comes to an end. Because if Jesus chooses to respond in kind, the cycle continues. And then there's payback and revenge, and it just keeps going. But for the cycle to stop, someone has to take on all of it and say, I forgive you. I'm not going to hold this over your head. I'm not going to retaliate. I'm not going to seek revenge. I'm not going to respond in kind. And that takes formation. It takes you being formed in the image of Jesus and becoming more like him today than you were yesterday. But here's where it hits the road. Here's where it gets really difficult. For this to happen, someone has to be willing to go first. Someone has to be willing to go first and not continue the cycle. Someone has to make themselves vulnerable. Someone has to swallow their pride. Someone has to say, it's going to stop here at me. 
And there are no, there's no better place than we see that than in the cross. In those words of Jesus, as we joining with humanity hurl the worst we possibly can at Jesus. And it's because of us that he finds himself there. And his words are not harsh. His words are loving and gentle. Father, forgive them. They do not know what they are doing. And the question I want to leave you with this morning is today, are you more like Jesus than you were yesterday? Are you truly following in His steps, responding the way He could? See, here's the problem, and I, I imagine someone in here is thinking this. Because when we talk about this, what people tend to do is think of the most obscure situations, things that probably don't really happen. Well, how could we respond that way? Let's make it real easy. Let's just talk about your everyday life. The way people will test you, the way people will try your patience, the way people will get under your skin, and just simply ask, do you respond like Jesus, who did not retaliate when he suffered, and he made no threats? Do you respond like him? Do you follow in his steps? And it's simply a question. Are you consumed with being right, or are you consumed with following and being like Jesus? Because you cannot do both. Father, today, give us the courage to follow in the way of your cross, and trust that though it confounds the logic of the world, your way interrupts the pattern of sin and death both now and forevermore. Father, give us the courage. Help us resist the temptation. And Father, to be like Jesus and respond in gentleness so that people will see Christ in us. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.